Hi everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of The Green Pod, a a University of Greenwich sustainability podcast. If this is your first time listening, this is a podcast to discuss sustainability at the University of Greenwich and our wider lives. Hopefully, with these short podcasts, we can provide a good starting point for you guys to delve into sustainability topics and hopefully engage with the wider sustainability team or eco-team projects. So today we're joined by um, David. David will be a familiar face for many of the um, previous listeners. But do you have a fun fact for us today, David? I do. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it a fun fact, but hopefully it's an interesting fact. Um, So today we'll obviously be talking about a particular subject around sort of ISO 14001 um, and something called environmental management system that I'm sure you'll give a brief overview before we go into it. But I thought I would give viewers a brief history of ISO and the organisation behind ISO. Um, So when we start talking about ISO 14001, uh, we need to remember it's existed since 1996. So it's still, you know, sort of fairly younger than me. So it is you know sort of fairly new in that in that respect um the iso part of that uh, actually stands for the organization so it's international standards organization they started looking into environmental care in the 1990s and then it took them six years to implement the standards and uh, for those that don't know the international standards organization is an independent organization dedicated to providing sector standards uh, as of today um, there were 23,737 standards, which cover nearly all aspects of technology and manufacturing. Uh, and yeah, I, might not be fun, but hopefully it's a bit, bit interesting and some history. Okay, so like you said, David, um, today's episode will be focused on the university's environmental management system and the ISO 14001 accreditation. So as a bit of background, An environmental management system is a formal framework for improving environmental performance by considering operational impacts. ISO 14001 is an internationally agreed standard and the most widely used environmental management system. So for this episode, it's quite a mouthful, so I'll shorten ISO 14001 to ISO and the environmental management system to EMS, just to make things a bit easier. So David, could you start by sort of giving some key features of ISO? I certainly can. So in terms of ISO, the the main thing to note is that it is a voluntary standard, um, so it's not mandatory. So the university, um, obviously we'll go into elements of this, but we have ISO 14001. We've chosen to commit to this standard as we likewise committed in in reducing our environmental impacts uh if you were in some other areas so if you sort of take healthcare and and laboratories some of those iso standards different standards are more mandatory um so this one is 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 a voluntary standard um but if you take the iso 14001 iso um, it, it defines the requirements of an environmental management system and basically this system the ems is a system and processes that we use to make sure that we're basically reducing our environmental impact and we've got all the paperwork all the evidence that we need to to prove that we're doing that Um, having the standard is important because it gives regulation and it's also externally audited which is which is a a big factor so 
so that we know that we're actually achieving what we need to do. Otherwise, there could be a risk of simply, you know, providing lip service. We're, we're saying we're doing something, but it's not being checked that what we're doing is actually correct. So that, that, is, that is a key element of it, that sort of regulation and, and auditing side of things. Um, the ISO as well, it's got 10 clauses, they're called clauses, but, but they're effectively sections. And organisations basically need to provide evidence in each of those areas to show that environmental risks being considered, noted, monitored, and hopefully reduced with internal audits into how they can be further improved. So it's a sort of a, a continual process. So it's not just doing it every year, it's continuously finding out how we can improve things. Um, and in that regard, it's a way of keeping us on our toes. So we're, you know, we're not sort of complacent about any risks. We're constantly looking, looking at them and seeing how they can improve. Um, a key component of this standard is that it needs senior management agreement. So that basically means that it's at all levels of the organization, um, top down and, and, and bottom up. Um, the standard is understood, supported, and it's financially resourced as well, which, which is quite important. Um, and the final thing is that it basically ensures compliance to environmental legislation. So in the UK, you, Ryan, and, and probably listeners, listeners know that we've got a lot of laws around, you know, sort of waste, transport, air pollution, trying to reduce all of that as possible. Uh, by exploring all of these areas in our ISO and, and in our EMS, it basically means that we're, we're, we can be confident and we can evidence compliance to those laws. Um, ISO makes you think not only about your direct activities as well, but the life cycle of products. We'll be talking about sort of the life cycle uh, a little bit later on, but it's kind of their raw material. So if you buy a product, what actually goes into that product, who supplies that product, how is the waste factored in, and how all of that can be reduced to minimise the, the, the environmental risks. So yeah, thank you for that answer, David. Um, you kind of went into it a bit, but how does ISO and EMS relate to university specifically? Yeah, so I thought um, I'll sort of a little bit of a basic introduction, and I thought it would be worth sort of me and you having a, a discussion, Ryan, sort of what you think about university activities, and then sort of relating to that. And I'm sure you can probably think of a, a lot of the activities actually could cause an environmental risk um, but basically you know so as I touched on the ISO standard is just that it's the sort of basic principles and clauses that can be implemented in any industry or organization so all organizations and our individuals as well we all have an environmental impact you know there's no getting away from that but there are a number of ways for all of us organizations individuals to reduce those impacts so in terms of how the EMS relates to a university and the risks involved, so if I am to ask you a question, Ryan, so it, and for listeners to kind of get a better understanding so we can just have a quick discussion about it. So if we think about a university, you know, thousands mm -hmm. of students, a thousand members of staff, essentially a couple of thousand members of staff, all of that sort of goings on, walking around, you know, commuting from one place to another, can you think of any activities that could have an environmental impact? Um, so the first ones that come to mind, the sort of energy usage. So universities I've always been to 
they're huge buildings, lots of equipment, lots of lecture theatres. So I can imagine energy is um, a big environmental impact. Then waste, I think um, with all those people, people just do create a lot of waste in those situations. And especially if you're um, sort of on campus all the time or your waste sort of stays on campus. Uh, and then aside from that, I can imagine, um, I imagine water usage is quite high. Obviously, all the toilets, washing the hands, all the catering facilities, um, some of the labs must use a lot of water as well. So, yeah, those are my sort of jump out ones. Yeah, and you're absolutely correct in, in terms of that. Uh, yeah, energy consumption is, is huge. Um, but in terms of sort of the EMS, it's not only thinking about, you know, whether we turn off all the lights, you know, or all the PC monitors after we leave a room, all the unnecessary equipment. It's also thinking about how we generate that energy so you know whether whether it's gas whether we can use renewables um, whether we can use geothermal um, solar panels all things like that whether you know our lights are leds or whether they're old-fashioned you know sort of fluorescent uh, tubes and, and whether that increases consumption and associated environmental impacts water yep exactly the same thing you know whether we're looking at all of our leaks so you know if there's there's a leak in a tap in a bathroom we need to make sure that's actually dealt with you know immediately um i think from water wise they said a dripping tap could waste about five thousand liters of water a year so you know if, if we don't deal with it that's a huge amount of water and an impact that's going to be felt on that um likewise waste yet we all generate waste it's just a matter of life you know we need to make sure that all of that is dealt with correctly um it's we've all got the documentation the legal requirements are met um and then there's sort of like potentially other things so procurement so procurement is basically everything that we buy so you know products that we stock in our catering outlets from our pcs computers you know specific lab equipment refrigerators everything like that is is what we buy and the ems is basically trying to get us to think not only about the individual product and the waste of that product but you know can we buy that product better so in terms of our outlets are we buying fair trade products for example you know are, are those products coming with less waste or is there a way we could kind of influence those suppliers to reduce their waste um not thinking about it from a sole solely individual organization but you know the the sphere of influence that we've got to increase that awareness and increase positive action uh, sort of across the board uh, and then you've got transport you know how everyone's commuting whether it's public transport university bus services whether it's train cars and whether we can kind of you know sort of drive some change in that uh, you know sort of Id even idling you know sort of people on campus are they turning off their engines when they you know sort of picking up their friends or their families dropping off sort of students to start, start a new term um, and then the other one, which might be what people might forget about sometimes, is kind of the emergency planning side of things. So that is, you know, accidents do happen and they could cause a severe environmental impact. And it's how we make sure that that doesn't happen. Or if it does happen, we treat it really quickly and effectively to avoid any additional risk. So the best example I can give for that is, you know, if in terms of catering, you know, deep fat fries, there's going to be lots of cooking oil. Um, we've got to make sure that's stored correct. An oil spill outside, 
how do we make sure that that oil spill does not reach any drains? It doesn't reach the environment, you know, sort of the, the natural environment, um, making sure, you know, the people necessarily are all trained. So in terms of sort of how it relates to university and organisations, it, it, it effectively could cover every single area. Um, and of course, the legislation that goes along with, with all of those aspects. So hopefully that gives listeners kind of an idea of, of how it does relate to a university. Yeah, I think that's um, yeah, that's a comprehensive view, to be honest. Um, in terms of just a quick question I have off the back of that, um, the idea of travel seems like quite a difficult, uh, difficult um, area of ISO to sort of police or to gauge. From the perspective of, um, we'll get on to sort of assessors and people who are checking this, but from a travel perspective, how do they sort of keep track of the ways people travel to the university and people travel around? So that's a very good question and it is very difficult. Some of it is done on estimations, um, but those estimations are based on sort of surveys and answers. So basically every year there's a travel survey which is asking students and staff how they most commonly travel, travel to the university, travel to work, um, what modes of transport they are, you know, sort of how far they travel. And then based on those answers, we can kind of estimate, okay, so, you know, 50% of the people travel in a car, single occupancy, 20% of them might travel by public transport, train, bus, 10% um, might sort of share a car with their friends or with work colleagues. Uh, and then once we've got those estimations, we can then apply that to the sort of carbon side of things so there's carbon factors which are produced by DEFRA uh, the government uh, sort of organization and and basically those are carbon factors so it's you know every mile that you drive produces x amount of kilograms of, of carbon dioxide and based on all those sort of transport figures because they write so 50 percent travel by car the average car produces X amount of, of carbon dioxide per, per mile. And then based on that, we can work out how much impact that has. And then we can start to try and look at how we can change that. So whether it's, you know, better public transport services at, at Greenwich, we've got a campus bus which goes between our three campuses, you know, whether we can improve that, um, which I can say we are because we are getting electric buses and we've got hybrid coaches. So, you know, the actual vehicles we have doing some of that work, how can we improve that? Obviously with people's cars, you know, it's more sort of about behavioral change and, and things like that, but the stuff that we manage directly, how can we improve that? Um, and then it's kind of just doing it on a, on an annual basis to make sure we're hopefully constantly improving looking at things like remote technology, obviously with the pandemic, you know, how that could influence whether you need to go to that particular meeting or whether you could have that meeting virtual, virtually. Uh, so yeah, there, there's sort of lots of different elements to that. So what's the current status of the university's EMS? So I can proudly say that we, we passed our reaccreditation audits in, in January this year. Um, so that basically means that we've been recertified for the next three years. So we have to be fully audited uh, and re-accredited every three years. Uh, we've, we started 
having ISO in 2012. So we've had it for, for nearly 10 years now. Um, I should accreditation is only on our estates and facilities directorate, which is basically the team that I'm in. Um, estates and facilities are kind of the people behind the scenes. So they're the ones that are managing all the buildings, all the engineers that are making sure that all the leaks get fixed. And there's also services around, you know, transport and, and portering and, and security. Um, but that means that the estates and facilities director actually is responsible for a large number of those areas that we discussed, you know, waste, transport, catering, all things like that. Um, we do hopefully intend on sort of expanding the ISO across the whole university, but that's sort of up, up to resources and, and things like that. Um, but in terms of the common status, that's what it is. So we've, we basically have an external audit every three years, well, a full reaccreditation audit every three years. But because every three years is quite a long period of time, we have an external surveillance audit every year. And we also do our own internal audits on the system ourselves every sort of six months to a year to basically make sure everything's in order and, you know, we're not providing that lip service. We are actually doing what, what we need to do. Um, we do find errors. We do find things that we can improve and we need to then set about processes on doing that. Um, if listeners wanted to know sort of about the audits themselves, generally there are four things that could happen on an audit. Um, you could get marked down or four, four, four things that could be negative. So, you, so yeah, so that there were generally four types of things that could happen on an audit. You could get marked down for a major or minor non-conformance. You could get be given an opportunity or you could get something said as, as a positive. Um, major non-conformances don't necessarily mean you know, so it's not necessarily a hugely negative thing, but it means that there is a risk in the process. So if that risk is not addressed, an environmental incident could occur. So, you know, if you take sort of oil spills, if the oil waste wasn't stored correctly, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a massive environmental incident immediately. But if you're not going to resolve that issue, the chances are you are going to have an incident, you know, in a not in a quick sort of space of time. So you need to resolve that, you know, immediately to make sure that environmental risk is resolved. Um, so yeah, that, that, that kind of gives the current status of, of the university. We, we've had it for nearly 10 years and it's positive and we're just sort of constantly looking at how we can improve things every year. Great. Isn't that good news that it's um, got re-accredited this year? So good to hear. Um, so, um, we've talked about sort of the main areas of uh, impact and I'm summarising when I say that ISO tackles um, water, emissions, waste and energy. But could you break down how ISO addresses each of these areas of environmental impact? Yeah, I certainly can. So what, what I thought I'd do here is I'll go into one area, which is waste, which is, you know, with everything that's been in the news around sort of pollution and the amount of waste people are producing, I thought that would be a very good area to kind of touch on um, about how we look at all those elements and potentially some of those elements listeners might not be sort of fully aware of and, and sort of how we make sure that those risks are sort of mitigated against. Um, so for this, 
I'm going to test you again, Ryan. Um, so if, if, if we think about waste, uh, you know, sort of what it is, where it stores uh, and things like that, what environmental risks do you think there are in terms of waste that, that we need to solve? Hmm. Um, so I'd say maybe physical dangers in terms of broken glass, waste can um, sometimes have sharp objects that can harm wildlife or people around it. Um, perhaps chemical runoff from cleaning products and um, other things like that. Uh, chemical runoff from maybe lab equipment as well. Maybe if there's a food waste within the waste um, that has certain emissions uh, associated with it as well. Those are my guesses. Yeah, so, yeah, no, no very good guesses. Um, so, yeah, sort of the first thing is, you know, we need to minimise the amount that we produce. You know, that's the main thing. Make sure people are not, you know, buying six liters of water in a day and, you know, that they're not wasting absolutely everything. Um, and they're reusing what they can and, and things like that. Um, then in terms of sort of what you said on, you know, sort of how we dispose of it, we need to make sure that the waste we produce is correctly collected um, by a licensed collector. So probably the best way is all of the, you know, sort of waste collections you get in, in your home, um, you know, you'll see the, the big rubbish lorries come down to take all the waste away. All of those companies, well, you would hope all of those companies are correctly licensed. Um, they need what's called a waste carriers license, which basically means that they are licensed by the government that yes, they have got the correct information, they've got all the evidence, all the certification, they can move that waste. Um, and that's, that's what we need to check. So at the EMS, we make sure that all of those who collect our waste have got that license. We then need document additional documentation so basically for every collection uh, for an organization there's a legal requirement to get what's called a waste transfer note or a hazardous consignment note so as you said if there's sort of hazardous materials or chemicals the hazardous consignment note if it's just recycling general waste it's a waste transfer note and that basically confirms that who's picking it up is actually who's supposed to be picking up and it also says where it's transported to. So the recycling facilities, where, where, where the waste is being taken to. Um, every type of waste has its own code on this transfer note. So we, in terms of EMS, we basically need to make sure that all of that information is correct because if there are errors, it might mean that actually that collector is not taking it where it's supposed to. And that could raise a very big flag and there could be an environmental risk further down the line. Um, in line with what sort of we both mentioned, we need to make sure we've got the correct waste stream. So if there's chemicals, we need to make sure they're stored correctly. If you're going to get rid of your old PC because it's broken, we need to make sure that those are correctly stored so that that leaching, you know, so there's no paints that are going to spill, no chemicals that are going to get into the environment, no cooking oils. We need to make sure all of that is stored securely so that it can't be tampered with. Um, and to avoid any risk of uh, chemical leaching. And then we, what we also need to do is, I sort of touched on it earlier, but in terms of the emergency procedures, so if there was an oil spill or if you said there was loads of glass that was found because something had shattered, we need to make sure that those 
dealt with quickly to prevent it from harming the environment, you know, prevent any wildlife coming into contact in it, prevent any humans coming into contact with it. So that, that is really important as well. And the sort of last thing which potentially some without the EMS could be missed is what's called life cycle analysis. So I kind of touched on it earlier in terms of it's not just looking at the, the product, but how it's produced. In terms of waste, it's not just a case of, you know, we produce it, a collector collects it, and then we don't think about it anymore. We need to make sure it actually ends up in a correct place. Um, if anyone watched, there was a documentary around sort of plastic waste on, on BBC a few months ago, and they highlighted, I think it was sort of in Indonesia, they had waste that had come from like Braintree Council. They found it, or, or I think it was Braintree, but a couple of other councils where, you know, sort of waste being in, incorrectly collected and you found bags of that in, in another country. So what we do as part of the EMS is what's called end destination. So we basically ask our waste collectors where the waste ends up, whether it's, you know, in another, in another country, in a specific facility. So, you know, if it's paper, it should be going to a paper mill to then be sort of recycled and turned back in, into other products. Uh, if it's incinerated, it will say what, what plant is going to be incinerated to. So that basically means that we know the end destination of that waste. Our waste should be ending up at that location so we can be confident that you know it hasn't just changed hands and it hasn't ended up in a landfill site in wherever it may be um, so and that kind of covers all of them all of the aspects over sort of transport and, and energy it's sort of doing everything legally but going that bit further making sure that everything is is, is accountable um, as has been covered yeah throughout this episode um, and in our other episodes, uh, often discussed activities that can have an environmental impact in a university environment, um, such as travel and transport and biodiversity. And we've had podcast episodes on those before, so I'd encourage the listener to sort of check those out um, if they sound interesting. Um, does ISO and EMS tackle any other environmental impacts that the listener might not be aware of or that we haven't discussed already on this episode? Uh, the only thing that, I, that we haven't mentioned um, and I've sort of thought of is elements around sort of infrastructure and engineering. So obviously in, you know, sort of hot and cold, well, not uh, cold conditions, but in hot conditions, you know, we have aircon units, you know, if it's really, really hot, we have aircon units to cool us down. Obviously, you know, fridges and things like that, they are refrigerant gases. So for both aircon and refrigerant gases, typically they are what's called F gases or fluorinated gases. Um, these gases are actually a lot more potent to the atmosphere and climate change than carbon. Some of these gases are actually thousands of times more potent than carbon dioxide. So, you know, if they were to leak into the atmosphere, that is a very, very big environmental risk. Uh, so, so in terms of those units, all of, the, all of those get serviced. And basically, we need to make sure that no, none of those gases escape. And if work needs to be done, the gases are correctly sort of stored and obviously disposed of or then sort of put back into the system. Um, so that might, you know, because you don't, see those units, you know, if, if you need a bit of cooling and you're in a lecture room, 
you put it on and you get cool, but you might not think actually, you know, sort of above your head, that's where the units are. Obviously, that you know, there's gases in there. It all needs servicing. So you know, sort of behind the walls of the buildings, there are you know lots more that goes on. Um, so that's the only thing that I think that we we haven't covered so far. Yeah, and that's certainly one that I wouldn't have um, thought of. So yeah, thanks for that. Um, so what are the biggest challenges that can occur when establishing and maintaining ISO as an accreditation? So I would say time and sort of getting everyone to, to understand is, is a major one, but that's not in terms of sort of, you know, the basics of climate change and, and risk, obviously, you know, large amounts of people know that the risks associated with climate change, but potentially how, say, contaminating recycling waste could lead to an entire collection being contaminated, being diverted from a recycling facility, having to be incinerated because of that contamination and, and sort of how to prevent that. So it's kind of going into things in a bit more detail and sort of how someone's role or what they do could impact on something further down the line. Um, that, that's sort of quite a big element of it. Um, and once people do get that, it, you know, it's actually, sometimes a sort of easy process because then you can talk to them about well this is how we could impact someone further down the line how do we ensure that you're supported at this stage to make sure that you're reducing the risk and then it you know it's kind of like a domino effect in terms of reducing the list uh, risk further along the processes as well um i'd say probably evidence is is also key so you might not think about it but in terms of, again, waste is a, is a very good example here, but we've got a number of collectors that collect different streams of waste, you know, general cycle and cycling, um, you know, sort of confidential waste, things like that. And sometimes they subcontract that out. We also do refurbishment and construction. So, you know, there is waste associated with that. So it's basically ensuring that we've got all of that documented evidence for both the legal compliance but also seeing how we can you know sort of influence others and how we can improve things so making sure we've got all of the evidence is is quite challenging at times um, but again because we've done it for a number of years as you kind of build up that process you know it kind of gets embedded in everyone knows what they're doing that well, not know what they're doing but but they know what to expect and they know what evidence to ask for so you know they can say right, we know you're going to ask for this, here's it straight away. And then that sort of cuts out that time process. So it reduces things. Um, so, so yeah, those are kind of sort of the, the main challenges. Um, and it's just kind of continuing it because it's a continual process. It's making sure that, you know, just because we've asked for that evidence a year ago, we still need to ask for that evidence just to make sure that things haven't changed, the processes haven't sort of falling down um, and making sure that everyone is is on top of that again. Great, yeah. And um, finally, sort of as to, out to the listener, um, how can students and staff support the success of this EMS and tackle some of those challenges? So that's a, that's a very good question to, to end on. Um, I'm going to start by doing the, the sort of the simple steps, which which a lot of people know about already, um, but sometimes we can take for granted. So, in terms of recycling and waste, you know, always check the waste posters on the bins to make sure that what you are putting in that bin 
can actually be recycled or is meant for that bin. Um, and that avoids contamination. Uh, and, you know, in terms of contamination, as I sort of touched on, you allow, there's sort of, sort of a leeway in terms of, I think it's sort of 5% of a bag could be contaminated, but it could still be recycled. But the more you contaminate it, the more the entire load that gets collected is going to be contaminated. And that means, you know, that in basically increases the risk. Um, you know, switch off all the appliances that you don't need, make sure all the lights are turned off, don't litter. Um, you know, all those basic steps do benefit the EMS because it means that the, the data we've, we've got is good. There is no environmental risk because we don't need to worry about, you know, spilled glass or, or litter that's potentially harming wildlife and everyone's kind of doing their bit collectively um, to, to help. Um, but also it's, it's sort of thinking outside the box in terms of ideas and, and coming to us. So I know you'll, you'll the details of how to contact the sustainability team but if someone wanted to help with doing an audit you know whether it's sort of looking around your your lecture room or your department to see you know what is happening and whether you can improve that let us know because you know anyone can help with that um, and likewise if they've got an idea you know if, if there's sort of different suppliers or if they just want to know a bit more then let us know because that means that you know if, if we've identified those potential errors or things that could be improved that's going to help the ems and you know effectively that's going to help reduce the university's environmental impact and ensure that you know we're conserving the the natural landscape around us and every everyone is going to benefit from that so yeah if, if you've got any ideas or want to help get in touch with us great thanks david I um, think that's a good way to round off the episode. So um, thank you guys for listening. And if you'd like to hear more about the university's sustainability projects, please visit www.gre.ac.uk forward slash sustain. And here at the Green Pod, um, all of us are always interested in hearing about sort of ideas for new episodes. Um, so please get in touch via the sustainability Instagram page or get in touch via email if you have any ideas for um, new episodes ideas but yeah thank you once again David um, that was a really interesting episode about ISO and yeah all the best